we played a show at Tulsa Noise Fest, which I think I've mentioned on a podcast before. Um, but there was a guy there who was native, um, definitely like passing native. And there was this white girl that came up to him and was like, um, she was super drunk. She was like, hey, <laughs> she's like, uh, are you like Cherokee? And he's like, no. And she's like, are you Creek? And she like went down the list of like, <laughs> what are yous with tribes? And uh, at the very end, she was like, I just, I don't know. I just can't place it. You almost look, she also said you looked Filipino. <laughs> I've heard that <laughs> Which one. is like, I know, but that's like kind of just like a catch-all for like, you don't look Mexican or Indian, <laughs> you know, so like, Filipinos next. Anyways, he ended up being, he said, I'm Navajo. And she said, um, I've never met a real Navajo before, which was just so cringy. And I was like. Mouth agape, like staring at her three feet away, like this is embarrassing. Like you're embarrassing yourself. Like just stop. And I was laughing really hard. Um, but when John Falls played at Noise Fest, I did see you there. I don't not when we played, but I saw you in passing. Yeah. And I know we've talked about you have a pretty extensive like Tulsa punk punk background. <laughs> we I feel learned. like I have a lot to live up to now. <laughs> and I'm gonna fall short. <laughs> You said you've been going to shows since you're like 12. Yeah, cool. yeah. And I would not have been allowed to go to a show when I was like 18, so. <laughs> well, I was Started allowed to go to sh- I mean, it's not, uh, I had to do a lot of bargaining with my mother, but what I had going for me <laughs> was that I literally lived two blocks down from uh, one iteration of a punk house, uh, mm-hmm. the Phoenix house, which was on Phoenix Street. And my mom was uh, an old punk rocker, so she's like, well... You know, you should have this time in your youth to spend being wild and shaving your head and dyeing it and wearing combat boots. Um, This is the time to do it. So she was, like, encouraging in that way. And so, yeah, I started going to shows when I was about 12 or 13 at the Phoenix house. And so my background with Tulsa Punk is I'm, I'm pretty heavily, like, biased because I mainly went to like the underground punk shows that were in people's basements yeah and so uh, going to actual legit venues i'm just like this feels awkward to it me, feels kind weird of. yeah that's like when we play we we specifically don't play bars we only play shows that are all ages um because it's totally not fair to like not let a yeah. kid in there if they want to see music because that's like the most crucial time to be right, seen. Yeah, so right. we, we don't play bars. Um, and we also, like, I think the music that we are and the shows that we get on, it's just it doesn't mesh with, like, venues like that. So, like, the Vanguard and things. Um, we've never played there, one, because we don't want to play on the stage, which is weird. But anyways, um, yeah, when we play, it's always, always basement shows or, like, DIY spots. Um, and played a donut shop once that's called the donut hole in kansas wichita (laughs) played we played at the that pizza place on paseo in oklahoma city a couple weekends ago sauce sauce yeah it's it's such a clever name it left me but it was fun yeah yeah there's like uh i lived in a couple of punk houses in the paseo one was the stump house Mm -hmm. and then the other one was the 31st street house i didn't live there proper but i definitely spent the night there enough and spent enough time there at the 31st street house but yeah so like um 
some of the like okay so i mainly went to like shows that were like at the phoenix house mm-hmm. and then also there is a venue that was totally illegal kind of in north tulsa or kind of i don't know not quite north tulsa proper i consider it like little mexico it's like north of las americas yeah and it was called El Pistolero, which was like a nod to Crystal Pistol mm. back here in the 80s. And that was just a, used to be a tire mechanic shop. And they just cleared it out and put a bunch of PA and band equipment in there. Nice. And yeah. And so that was a venue that I, I think when I was a teenager, I, I mean, I was definitely there on a weekly basis mm-hmm. trying to help. And I didn't have any money. So my friend Aaron Thornhill and uh, pre-MAGA John Paul, um, he's an old bandmate of mine, and they're in a band together called Sunset Beach, like one of the best fucking Tulsa punk bands um, to come out of here, honestly. And so they would, uh, they had that venue because they wanted it to be an all-ages venue, and they didn't want to like have to answer to anybody and book whoever the fuck that they wanted. There's a lot of really historic shows that went down there. Some of them involve fire and blowing fire. Other ones involve, like, somebody dumpstering, like, a whole garbage bag full of stale bagels from, like, City Bites and, like, throwing them at the band and each other. And it was like a food war in the mosh pit. (laughs) You couldn't do that at the Yeti or the Vanguard. Oh, no way. Yeah. No way. And, And so, you know, like, I still wanted to... Because I never had any money as a teen. I, I was like, well, what can I do to help out? Thanks for letting me come. And so afterwards, I would just, like, try to stay and, like, sweep up beer cans and clean up a little bit. And sometimes, mm-hmm. like, I would run the door, which just basically was, like, who's here? Who are you? I've never seen you before. Do you have 2 or $3 for the touring ban? Yeah. And then, you know, trying to get money for the touring ban. And then, like... Oh, giving shit to people there's like oh I don't have anything yet they're rolling in with a 30 pack yeah, and like, I'm oh, like okay. you got something yeah. sir you yeah. need to do a little bit you got of some pocket traditional change. bargaining here okay yeah. <laughs> right, the barter system yeah but you know uh, when I was uh, I moved out when I was 17 because I had a pretty rocky relationship with my mother mm-hmm. and so I moved out and went down the street two blocks and moved into the Phoenix house. <laughs> and that was a really cool time. And it was a really unique experience because that was an all-female ran punk house. Wow. It was my friend Jessica, who I was in a band with. She was the other part of Blah Blah Blobs that with the Primaga John Paul. And then uh, for a time there, uh, this chick named Nomi lived there. And she is, oh, she's going to hate me. She's Pawnee. Yeah. No, she's Choctaw. God damn it. I should know her <laughs> tribe. She's either Pawnee or Choctaw. Yeah. And, like, so it was, like, two native punk chicks and then, like, Jessica, too. And there was, like, a lot of crazy times that we had there. Like, good times, yeah. though. And uh, to my knowledge, I don't really know if any other all-female ran punk houses. I'm sure there are, like, on the coast or something. But here in the med- Midwest, definitely not. Oh, no way. <laughs> Especially, man. I, so there, um, right now, there's a house called Barkingham Palace. And um, the girl, it's a girl who runs that. It's her house. Yeah. Um, man, she she lays down the law. She makes the rules. And yeah. she, like, enforces it. And she, but she has a lot of um, good friends that live there with her that yeah. help make it a safe space and a welcoming space and stuff. But other than her, no. 
Yeah, wow. I didn't know that. Thanks for telling me that. I feel like an old head. I'm like, oh, I think I've heard of Barkingham Palace. <laughs> <laughs> I should check that out sometime. Man, John Falls has played there a couple of times. I've gone to a lot of shows. Um, and uh, it's crazy. I Have I told the Crack Rock story where, like, band Crack Rock story where um, the guy cut his chest? Have I? I haven't said that on the podcast. So. Okay. I have so many, like, I, I just say the same stories to everyone, so it's like, oh, what's new? No, um, so we played it at Birmingham one time, and um, it was after we had played, and so I was standing kind of, at Birmingham, they play in a basement, um, and you can, most people are just in one part of the basement, you can wrap around, she's got it kind of blocked off just for bands to go, and so I, I was over there, and I was watching this band play, they're called Crack Rock, they're from Arkansas, great band, mm-hmm. super, super great, um, so they're playing, and um, one of them has like a beer can, there's a way too many people crowded in there like going crazy and I thought I heard him say something like I'm gonna cut myself with this can in the next song or something like that and I was like surely not like maybe it was just a distortion like I I didn't hear that and so they're playing and I he crushes the can with his hand and like I was like okay that didn't look good and then he like he's because we're behind the band he's facing the crowd he turns around to where I can see him, and he's got this huge gash in his chest, <laughs> where he just, like, just went nuts. And I was like, oh, my God. And I, like, looked at Ricardo, and I was like, he's bleeding, like, but they're still playing, like, they're still going, okay. And then, like, he takes this guy from the crowd, who is, I'm assuming, his friend, and he gets the can, and he starts slicing the dude's forehead. Oh, was, I, was the dude aware that he, this was going to he happen? He was loving it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Intoxicated, I'm sure, but he was loving it. And I was just like, I just had this really surreal moment of like, where am I? Like, what is happening? <laughs> what I and yeah. then, So, it gets crazier. So he's cutting his head, and then the guy like falls back into the crowd, and there's like blood everywhere. And um, he like throws a car down like, uh, can like starts going again and then everyone just starts chanting like hail satan and like i love the devil and stuff and yeah. I, was just, I was just like i had this like out of body experience i was like where am i right yeah. now like this is this is where like my parents always told me not to go yeah. <laughs> like here like here you are what's going see, on see i hear that story let me tell you something yeah one up that story one up but just like uh i hear that story and you're like where am i and i want to say immediately welcome to tulsa in the mid 90s and late 90s and early odds because i have a few stories like that yeah where especially like at the basement shows they would get pretty fucking nuts and so there's like a couple of like fire shows like where they're like blowing fire on tiki torches like you know, like when tiki torches were not like alt right, like pre alt right oh, tiki pre, torches, pre when they were like still, you know, playing music, but then also like, you know, blowing fire. So they never thought I'd have to say like pre alt right. We're all, yeah, it's something we have to distinct, make a distinction yeah. now. There you go. Yeah, and there was a few other shows where people uh, like the basement shows. It was just hot. It was summer. Everybody would just randomly decide to get naked, and then we would have these like total naked basement shows. And that sounds few- like one hell of a time. Oh, it is there's great. times when I'm playing and I'm just like so hot and like can't take off my clothes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if everyone's young. but if everyone did, then you know that would be different. Yeah, 
Uh, and then I can think of a few other shows. It's always fucking noise bands. What is the devil with noise bands and doing this? Where it was, it would be a noise band playing a show, and there would be some dude, and he would like get a piece of broken glass and cut himself. And it's like, okay, I guess everybody wants to have their like Gigi Allen fifteen seconds or something. That must be it, man. Yeah, because there's there's a noise artist in, in Tulsa now. I I don't know if he's from Tulsa. He plays a lot of shows in Tulsa, but I also kind of think he's from Arkansas. Anyways, Bone Magic. He makes really good music. Um, but in his bit, it's like part of what he does. He like he sings with this light bulb, mm-hmm. and it it looks cool. He's you know because he always has like the lights off, and it like adds like atmosphere and stuff. The first time I saw him was outside Sound Pony. And I had no idea what was about to happen. I was just, like, watching this guy. Um, and he's performing at this light bulb, and then he's busted on the ground. And he just, like, jumps his knees on it. Yeah. Like, knees, and then he's just, like, punching it. Mm-hmm. Like, rubbing his forearms in it. And I, like, physically was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> just, like, I couldn't believe I was, like, closing my eyes and, like, turning my head. And um, it was a scene. He's a super nice guy. Nicest guy in the world. He did that again at uh, PH, which um, is also on Phoenix. What? Used that... to be the Blue Jackalope. Oh, that yeah, building yeah, yeah. Now. yeah. I know what you're talking so, about. So um, he did that at PH once, which he was not supposed to do. We had talked about it. I'm not supposed to Why break the glass. Why is it you never see any females doing this? Right? I have no desire. Like, well, let me think. What is it? But it is. It's always a, a male... Male that I've never seen a female do anything like that. Yeah, I mean, there's like Lita Ford or who else where they would do like the thing where they would get like a, you know, a saw and like show sparks or something. Mm. But I don't really. I'm sure there's some female oh. band perform artist or something that's cut themselves and done something. I just can't think of it. But oh, yeah, for I sure. usually like I only see males do it though. Really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that. I don't know. Maybe it's testosterone, some sort of rite of passage. <laughs> but <laughs> hats. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but um, I know there's talking about like an all, not having an all female venue, like in the mid Midwest area. Like, mm-hmm. man, even fronting a band as a female and I've talked about this a little bit it's been a few episodes though it is so frustrating yeah. because I will they always assume I'm just the girlfriend yeah I, I'm, I'm never <laughs> no they I, I have to I have to qualify myself for being there almost every time where the the, the guy running sounds like all right so um so uh, are you in the band or are you just with them and I'm like now nah, I'm in the band and they're like all right well what do you play I'm like I do the vocals and, um, but it's like, you're not saying that to anyone else in here. Like yeah. you're, you're asking me cause you think I'm just trying to get in here for free, yeah. carrying in gear, like, you know, sneaking in, like you're not asking the guys. I know you're not genuinely interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's frustrating. It, it makes me mad, but also like I will have just played and like, granted our music's very aggressive. So like I'm yelling and I'm like in people's faces, it's very like emotive and stuff. And then every guy in that room will like avoid my eyes the rest of the time there when they're going up to the other members being like hey man good job great show that was awesome i loved it or like that was interesting let's talk about this and they're like i make eye contact and they're just like like look away yeah it's so 
so rare for like a guy to come up to me after a show and be like, that was great. Mm-hmm. That, I enjoyed it a lot when I, they'll make their way to every other member, but like not say to me and not that, and I've told Ricardo this, it's not that I want that like validation or anything, but it's just the principle of like, this is so obviously you not talking to me because I'm female mm-hmm. and I'm going to take it as you're just intimidated of me Yeah, and leave it at that. But I don't know. I get so tired of having to like qualify myself for being at a show. See, so with, like the first band I was in, uh, I was, I think we started practicing when I was 16 and then I think played our first show when I was 17 or something. And I remember, uh, you know, a lot of what you speak of were dudes coming up after, you know, we played a set and like, oh, that's really great to see female drummers. You're not that bad for a girl. Oh, yeah. And like hearing crap like that. Yeah. And, um, but things I did enjoy about it is, like, this, uh, boyfriend I had at the time, like, because sometimes, like, after the show, I was just really tired, like, my arms were tired, and yeah. I was like, So did you, um, like, you play drums? Yeah, I played okay. drums. cool. And I just feel like, hey, will you just carry these for me, please? <laughs> and I'm like, you're my personal roadie. <laughs> yeah, like, being on so that I'm end like, thanks for carrying these up the stairs, babe. <laughs> sure yeah yeah but uh i also i do like when we play with a band that's also like harder Mm -hmm. and then like they have a guy doing vocals but like when he yells it's like kind of high and like Mm -hmm. not as like growly and deep as mine and then i get up there i'm like you're like going at it i'm like man my 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 voice is deeper than yours like what's going on like yeah i can yell harder than you Mm. right when are y'all playing the show next um, it's a good question. Uh, we don't have any lined up right now. Um, cause we just played the one in Oklahoma city. We're trying, we're trying to get one in Bound for Glory. Dave's been asking us. Oh, that's it. Those are my old bandmates. You do know that, right? Oh no. I yeah. Didn't. That was another band. Demasiado. Oh, okay. So yeah. Dave and, Dave and Chris. Chris. Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, that's cool. No, um, we're trying to play, we're trying to play at Bound for Glory. It's just one of our members is living in Texas right now. Okay. That's where he's from. So it's. When he can, he's also in school, so it's yeah. a little tight right now. But um, yeah, hopefully, we'll get one going at Bound for Glory. Yeah, that'll happen then. No, I guess what I could say more too of like besides being in a female-ran uh, punk house was that at least back then. So these were like the years between like '98 that I'm referencing, like '98 to maybe 2009 that there was definitely like natives in like in the punk scene here in Tulsa Mm -hmm. and of course you know there there weren't um, a whole lot of us yeah but we were definitely there Mm -hmm. and mostly it was females honestly and a couple of african-americans that would go to the shows too and also just like with like uh kind of like gen x people like so i guess a generation above me there was also um natives in that punk scene too and also that played in bands and so i went out with a friend last night and we went to a show at the vanguard Mm -hmm. and i had never been there before i think he had been there like maybe once before or something and we went to the show and i was kind of like well it's something free to do and to like get out and it's an all-ages show 
And so I definitely, like, way support all ages shows over, like, 21 and up. Yeah. And I wasn't, like, entirely optimistic about the bands that were going to be there. Mm-hmm. But they actually were not that bad. They really weren't. Um, like, Constant Peril played. And that's, like, Braxton, Jordan, and Reed Holly, and some other guy I don't know. And I've been seeing them, like, playing bands since I was a teenager. I just trust what them boys do. Yeah. And it was a fucking awesome metal band. And The Shame played. And I'm not really a street punk, like, oi type of person. Yeah. But they're really good at what they do for that. But, um, so the person I was there with last night, we were talking and we were just talking about, like, how, like, seeing all these, like, youth, like, thrashing around, right. you know? And it's like, yeah, we're definitely not going to do that. <laughs> but we're really happy for them. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's really great to see. Yeah. And uh, there is a garage band that we miss seeing. And I think, like, one of the people in that band, I think they were, like, African-American. Mm. And we were looking around, too. And noticing, like, and, you know, this is something I was commenting to him, that there does seem to be, like, more brown people. Like, yeah. as they get younger. Yeah. Like, I'm seeing, like, more and more brown faces at the shows. That's great. And yeah. that's, like, that's the goal is, like, you know, because growing up, I didn't go to a lot of those types of shows. But being in them since I've been, like, um, what, 19 and up, um, there's just not a lot of color. Yeah. Especially in like punk, hardcore, that type, especially hardcore. Especially hardcore. It is, <laughs> it is it definitely is so white. Here's, here's the white middle class male enclave. <laughs> it's like a fraternity of sorts. It is. It's yeah. the bro fraternity of it, hardcore dudes it with is. facial hair. Yeah. In <laughs> earplugs. Yeah. It's <laughs> so white and so male, but. That's good. I'm glad there were, like, more brown brown kids there and stuff. I know um, the Vanguard has a pretty solid following of, like, hardcore um, bands that play there. I know, like, next weekend, um, this band Rose Gold, who are mostly Mexican oh, really? or Hispanic. Where are they from? They're from here. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um... I like their music, um, but they are they put on this big event called like Greenhouse. I think it's Volume Two, the second time they're doing it at Vanguard, and um, it's just like this big. This it's really just a show, but it like has a pretty stacked lineup of bands and stuff. But I know that like I feel like they're pulling in a lot of younger people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think it's something they're intentionally doing. I think mm-hmm. just like having the platform of being brown is pulling yeah. in friends and family and people seeing themselves being reflected that way. And I've, I've never like talked to Joseph about this and I don't know if he listens to this podcast. So if you do kudos, I think you're doing a great job. Um, but yeah, they've, the Vanguard's got a pretty solid following of that type of music. Ricardo went to a show there once just recently. Um, like I said, we don't go there a lot cause I don't really like the environment of the show. I just feel like it's like just this like production and stuff and I want something a little more intimate but Ricardo went to the show and um just to see if our band mate play in a band and um there was this kid who was like what is that called hardcore dancing 
like thrashing they're around. Yeah, yeah, but they're not. It's like, not like moshing or play, like. Were they windmilling? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they were. He was windmilling, um, but no, he was just going around like being as like violent as possible to anyone. Mm-hmm. And um, Ricardo saw him coming, and he like swung to hit the guy in front of Ricardo. I think he hit the guy, and Ricardo like ducked to try to miss it, but the guy just smacked the back of Ricardo like as hard as he possibly could and he had like a big, a big bruise and Ricardo was super mad and he like like looked up to find him and they said the guy just like ran off into the crowd and stuff but I was like the, especially in hardcore like those scenes can be really like violent and like there's a difference between like jumping around and like yeah they're you know pushing mm-hmm. each other and thrashing and stuff but like I feel like there's like this code of conduct that yeah. people in that kind of understand and if someone falls usually someone will help them back up mm-hmm. and it's just very yeah, like yeah, yeah. um kind of like com- community thing um but i feel like with hardcore sometimes it's just who how can i be as violent as possible i got a suggestion for you um next time you're at a hardcore show and you're seeing like a bunch of dudes like bros windmilling just get yourself a handful of white bulbs and just start throwing them in there and see <laughs> Let's see where we can take this. Yeah. You know? All right. Let's go. Are you really hardcore? Because I don't believe you yet. You haven't met bone magic. Yeah. Prove yourself yeah. with this light bulb and this glass. I'm not convinced, sir. I don't think you're as tough as you say you are. Yes. Next show. Yeah. Next time, just get a What's four in your pack? pockets? Don't worry. It's fine. It's for later. It's for later. <laughs> I can't remember the name of her band, but there's this Creek girl, uh, Raylan Butler. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how it happens where I never ended up seeing her band playing a show. But she's Creek, and uh, from what I recall, she she was a, the front for this band that she was in. And she was a vocalist, and she would sing, but she would sing in English, but she would also sing in the Muscogee, our language, cool. too. Cool. And I feel really shitty. I never got to see that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, that's so cool. There's, I, um, in our music, I, there's Spanish in parts, mm-hmm. um, and it's something, before I was doing the vocals for John Falls, I was like, man, I want to start, like, a like a punk band but like just vocals in Spanish like everything I was like I don't want to play in those places and like only speak in Spanish when I'm on stage you know and just to like I don't know almost as like kind of a just to be that like abrasive and like yeah you're not going to understand this and I know that and I'm like this is intentional you know um I haven't got to that place I'm doing vocals now for John Falls and maybe I'll get there but yeah. I love, I think that's so cool, especially, like, integrating, like, language into pop culture, like, mm-hmm. we've talked about with art and stuff like that, that it's important for language to be visible that way as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a guy who raps in Muskogee, isn't there? Who? Cool. Um, Ryan. Ryan Barnett. That's my yeah. cousin. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really cool. Well, he's my cousin. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, so uh, it's my Aunt Eddie Jean. She's like my great aunt. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Is that his great aunt too? I don't know. I think we're second cousins. Mm-hmm. And I didn't actually meet him until two years ago mm-hmm. when I was at a stomp dance. Uh, when it 
the stop dances that George Kozer puts on and Glenn oh. put on Wednesday nights. Mm-hmm. And I seen him there. And then we started talking. And then George is like, oh, I think you two are related. And so we start, <laughs> you know, like how you the Indian thing where it's like, well, who are your parents? You know, who are your grandparents? And you start running down the list. And then it's like, oh, shit, we're yeah. second cousins. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Yeah. It happens so often. I know. I know. You got to really figure out who your related are yeah. and not fast or else some mistakes can happen. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought it was really cool that he was doing that. I don't know that I've, um, I just heard that he was doing it. I don't think that I've heard anything. But me and JP were talking about how cool it would be if there was like a punk Cherokee brand or like anything like Why that. Why don't you and JP start that? You guys seem like the prime candidates for Man, that, I've honestly. Been try- I've been trying to get Kelly in a band with me for like years now. We even gave her a drum set. I know, and I haven't even put it together. <laughs> oh my god. Well, no, we gave, give we it gave to her, me then. Damn. We gave her a drum set with like a couple like really crucial missing parts. We're like, okay, you just need these two things and you're good to go. But no, that would be cool. There's like um, that band, I think, from New Mexico called Weed Rat. Oh, yeah, I love that. I don't know. Oh, yeah, Weed Rat. Okay, again, I was talking to my friend last night, <laughs> and I was, like, trying to tell him about Weed Rat, but I couldn't think of the fucking name. And I was <laughs> like, was like right but they're the- there. <laughs> they, they exist. <laughs> they're a thing. Just trust me. Yeah, uh, yeah Weed Rat. What were you going to say about oh, that? Oh, I know. They're, just, they're really cool. I don't yeah. know if they use the language in their music. Uh, do, you know, uh, do you know that band Lozen? Oh, you should t- you both y'all need to L O Z E N. Yeah, so uh, Lozen is this. I can't remember if they're from New Mexico or Arizona, but they're this uh, female band. Both of them are Apache. Cool. It's a guitar drum setup, and they named the band Lozen because she was an actual Apache warrior woman from that tribe. So that's where they got their influence from. Cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And they're legit good. Like I really like their music. It's legit. Cool. I have it pulled up on my phone. Yeah. Internet to check it out. I'm always on the hunt for that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We need more. We need more brown. <laughs> what you earlier? What did you say? White people that are down with the brown. Yeah. <laughs> My white friends are totally like that. No, yeah, just they... that phrase is so funny. Like you said that, and I like I, you're like kind of like you're like <laughs> like let out like a. <laughs> I like that phrase a lot. Didn't we like think about calling this podcast that or something I, at one point? Down with the brown, yeah. Some there were a lot. But of... then we thought it was like it sounded like down with the. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was our line of thought. Yeah. Yeah. We also, we're, that's going to be a button, down with the brown, and I'll, like, you can only have it if, you know, you, yeah, I have this button that I sell, it's, it says decolonize, and I have such moral qualms with selling it to white girls. Yeah. But they're the only ones who buy it. Oh, really? So it's like, the capitalist part of me is like, well, it's just a buck, you can make, you know, make a little bit of money, but then the other part's like, that's not for them. Don't sell it to them. They don't even know what it means. Like, they're part of the problem. That reminds me of a story, kind of. Okay, so, it's kind of circuitous, but we're going to do it anyways. Uh, so, I remember hearing a story from somebody. They're up on uh, Pine Ridge, and they went to Wounded Knee. I don't know if you all have ever been up there. No? Okay. Um, 
I used to go up there every summer for ceremonies up there. And so this guy, he was at uh, the actual site of Wounded Knee, though. And if you go to that site, there's a lot of, like, these old-timer Lakotas that come down from the hill when they see the tourists, trying to see, like, where did the shit go down in <laughs> 1972 or whatever year it was. And uh, they'll come down, and, like, this guy, he was talking to this old Lakota guy who was really, like, talking about how he was, like, full-blood, full-born Lakota, Oglala, the wild ones, you know? And that... Um, he was so fucking Indian, so Lakota. He doesn't even have a social security number. He doesn't have a driver's license. He's just really about like decolonization, you know, being like back with them old ways, those traditional ways. Yeah. And then he, at the end of his spiel of talking about like the importance of like wounded knee, which is definitely important, and how he's like very anti United States government, anti capitalist. Um, just going back from the Lakota ways, he's like, well, you know, but I'm here. I made this beadwork, though. <laughs> and maybe you'd be interested in, in buying a keychain or some earrings for your woman. <laughs> and that guy was like, yeah, I'll buy something. And then he's like, that'll be $20 for this. And then he's like, hold up. <laughs> $20? I thought you were anti-capitalist. Right. And like, really like tradition wouldn't we be bartering here yeah. like what are we doing here and he's like oh i accept cash you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like god <laughs> yeah okay yeah that's the thing it's like do i sell this white girl to call it so far i haven't brought myself up to have that conversation of like i'm sorry that's not for you see this is like a uh, something i'm having to consider for like that native sexuality conference because it could be open to everybody. The thing is, is I've been to conferences where, like, most every conference I've been to is very um, open to everybody. But then when it's talking about, like, a specific minority, uh, a certain group of people that's really specific, if the people not of that group... Um, are there it's like you have to like stop and explain history to them again and again because yeah. they don't um, fully understand the grasp of like American history right and it kind of like slows the process down where the rest of us we just grew up in it and we know it it's intrinsic yeah, yeah. and so I'm kind of like debating like I really want it to be just indigenous people at the conference mm-hmm. so I don't have to stop and do history story time that right. you should really already know yeah but we're also you know, there's a lot of reasons why, like, a non-Indigenous person wouldn't know a particular part of history, but it should at least be being taught, you know? Yeah. And so I'm thinking about just kind of having it to where it's only for, like, Indigenous people. But if you got a white girlfriend, white boyfriend, mm-hmm. they're already with you, I guess they can come to because it's relevant to them. Yeah. Like, you're already in it somehow. So we make exceptions if you're already in a relationship with a non-indigenous person then you should come because you should know this history yeah yeah that's tricky yeah but then you'll get called discriminatory so yeah whatever yeah that's that's why i haven't had that conversation yet but i did have i've sold a couple where they're like oh, like, I'm buying this for my friend. Like, they would really appreciate it. Like, they, like, explain, like, oh, mm-hmm. this isn't just for me. I understand what you're doing. This isn't for me, you know? Yeah. And I could totally respect that. I'd be like, 
You're down with the brown. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be the new, a new one. Give her one of those. Yeah. I know. Here's your down with the brown. Well, I mean, I've like had a lot of conversations with a lot of my white friends. And, you know, they'll just talk, we'll just have these really open conversations. Like, you know, like I support minorities and like the activism involved there, but I also. Uh, you know, a lot of my friends talking about, like, I just try to be really cognizant of my place, though, because I want to be able to support, but it's not my deal, and I don't know that experience. Yeah. So it's always triggered for me, like, knowing how to um, support and help out, but not being, like, white savior. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that before on a podcast. We had someone ask us that question, but... Um, oh, and that's the same with, like, me... Or even, I, I guess it's just like, yeah, like recognizing your privilege of like my socioeconomic, my socioeconomic status of being like a middle class and mm-hmm. not having to worry about my citizenship and because I am an American citizen and yeah. um, I was born here and um, I don't know, just always just being aware of those things, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs>